Hello, podcast people. So, it's been a while since I updated. Um, so, if you are rejoining this podcast and you were listening before, um, I was like a third of the way through the Mysteries of Udolfo, and then I had a family member who passed, and like the book was right at a particularly depressing spot, even for a gothic story with dead family members and grief, and it was just, it was a lot. So I decided to stop reading, and then the madness of the, like, winter holidays, and just, like, everything, like, it was all just a lot. So I took a break, and now I'm back, and I'm not picking up the Mysteries of Udolpho right away. Um, It's still a little too raw, and still just a little too real, and yeah, I need something a bit more joyful and fun. Uh, so I'm picking up Pride and Prejudice. Um, and uh, if you're joining for the first time, welcome. We're going to be reading Pride and Prejudice, as you have figured out, because this episode is titled about Pride and Prejudice. Um, so the way this kind of works, just in case you don't know, is I have a copy of Pride and Prejudice here. I will read to you. I will ding a bell um, that I have when I'm about to interrupt the story to tell you important contextual notes. Um, Sometimes, depending on my mood, I might read you some notes ahead of the story so that I have to interrupt the story less. Sometimes I will just read you notes during the middle of the story. It really... More depends on my mood and the length of the note. Uh, This chapter, chapter one of Pride and Prejudice is remarkably short, so I'll probably make most of the notes during the first chapter. Um, I will let you in on a couple of things ahead of time, just so that we can get them out of the way. Um, One of the major themes of this novel and many other Jane Austen novels is money. Um... Unlike today, money was not considered a crass subject, Uh, so talking about how much somebody earned, uh, now you would never just be like, hey, my neighbor just moved in and she's awesome, she earns $100,000 a year. Like, no. Like, you just would not say those things, you would not ever ask your neighbor those things. It wouldn't be common knowledge. Sure, you might guess at it and you might just infer from, you know, the style of house, the car, driving, whatever. But you don't know and you don't ask. Um, Back in Jane Austen's day, that thing was, it was far more common. Um, Poverty was shameful. You were never to admit to a certain level of poverty. However, when you were part of the upper class, um, being able to brag about your income was a thing. And so you will, at many points during the novel, hear wealth addressed. Um, And one of the times is in this first chapter, they talk about a guy moving to town who has a large fortune of four or five thousand pounds a year. Um, And that's just kind of known, like, that's what he earns. Um, So it's part of just the gossip mill, like, you know, knowing the color of the horses or the color of his hair or, you know, a small gossipy society. Um, So what does that translate to in today uh, in American dollars? That's like $300,000 a year. uh, So a very tidy income by modern standards. Um, How does he earn this money? He earns this money 
the way all good people earn money by not working. <laughs> he has investments that work for him. He probably owns things um, that work for him. He does not actually have to do any work. Uh, if you have to do any work, you are not a true gentleman. One of the characters we'll meet later in this book is a gentleman. However, he lives very close to his work and he has worked and still continues to do some advising on the side and therefore he is not as much of a gentleman as true gentlemen uh that's i don't know they had this thing about you know that you were only elegant if you didn't have to work uh, if you didn't work um so anyway uh that is quite a bit of money it it's a big deal. Um, and one of the other things I should mention is that there is a huge divide in income. So it's one thing we can definitely, uh, there are like inflation calculators out there. So you know how much a pound cost then and how much it would be now. Like you can figure that out. But the style and standard of living, just the divide was much sharper than what we have now. So to even by today's standards, the amount of money I make a year, I'd have been able to keep a servant. Like, which obviously I can't do now, but like, it, it's just, it's it's kind of weird to explain, but like, just the way uh, society worked then, there was just these, um, like, goods cost um, much more than they do now in relative terms, while labor is like a ton cheaper. Um, so like clothes, way more expensive. Well, fabric, way more expensive. Um, just food in general, way more expensive. And you consider in an era before mass transit, mass production. Yeah, those things would be more expensive. Labor costs way down. So, um, like Jane Austen herself lived, um, most of her life on like, I think she lived like on like 500 pounds a year um and she kept you know a couple servants like so so yeah so you can adjust for inflation it's still going to be kind of wonky and you still have to like look at it differently but so one thing that's just a good rule of thumb is to take them at their word bingley is a rich man okay and if you really want to get down into brass tacks of it he is a wealthy man he's not a super rich but he's very wealthy He's wonderfully well off, but he's not overly rich. Um, it's just a good way to just look at it in general. Uh, the other note that I want to make um, before we get to the story today is visiting. This is lovely. If you've read the other, or if you listened to the other podcasts with me, um, we've talked a lot about the visiting rules. Visiting was a very intricate dance in society. Um, that society has a lot of rules and even today society has rules we have rules and expectations for the people that are going to participate in good society you know you don't make rude noises in public you wear appropriate dress you talk to people appropriately like we have our own rules that taking out of context in another 300 years might seem very bizarre this society had a lot of social rules. I think they have way more social rules than we do. They seem very bizarre, but that was like their thing. So as to visiting, one of the rules is about visiting people you don't know. Um, you can't just like go visit someone you don't know. 
Um, and you definitely can if you're a woman. Introduction cards have to be sent. Then the man has to meet the other man. The two men, once acquainted, can then meet women. Like, there are just a... It was an intricate thing, as I've already said. So, um, just for the purposes of this chapter, realize that, um, the men have to be introduced to one another before the ladies can be introduced to any men. And... This can be a very big detriment if you have an anti-social parent like Mr. Bennett, for instance, who's the father of the main characters. Um, he's not super social and not super interested in society. And so the girls, however, have to rely on their dad to go out and meet people so that they can meet people. Um, you know, it's one of those in your woman that day, your SOL, like, I don't even know. But, yeah, so visiting rules, um, and, uh, yeah, and then the visiting rules also depend upon class and then other style. But, all right, that's about enough of chapter notes. We'll get into the actual chapter. Um, you might hear a ringling of a bell a time or two, and off we go. truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighborhood, this truth is so well fixed in the minds of surrounding families that he is considered as the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. "'My dear Mr. Bennet,' said his lady to him one day, "'have you heard? Netherfield Park is let at last!' Mr. Bennet replied that he had not. "'But it is,' returned she, "'for Mrs. Long has just been there, and she told me all about it.' Mr. Bennet made no answer. "'Do you not want to know who has taken it?' cried his wife impatiently. "'You want to tell me, and I have no objection to hearing it.' This was invitation enough. "'Why, my dear, you must know. "'Mrs. Long says that Netherfield is taken by a young man of large fortune from the north of England "'that he came down on Monday in a chase and four to see the place, "'and was much delighted with it, "'that he agreed with Mr. Morse immediately that he is to take possession before Michaelmas, "'and some of his servants are to be in the house by the end of the week.' A chase and four, should have mentioned, is a carriage. Uh, it's just, just a normal sort of carriage. It... Uh, the four refers to four horses, which is a signifying of wealth. Um, chases are normally pulled by two horses in general. Uh, you can pull them by four horses. It runs faster. It costs more, obviously, to maintain and run more horses. So that's an indication of his wealth. What is his name? Bingley. Is he married or single? Oh, single, my dear, to be sure. A single man of large fortune, four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls. How so? How can it affect them? My dear Mr. Bennet, replied his wife, how can you be so tiresome? You must know I'm thinking of his marrying one of them. Is that his design in settling here? Design? How can you talk nonsense how can you talk so but it is very likely he may fall in love with one of them therefore you must visit him soon as he comes i see no occasion for that you go with the girls or you may send them by themselves which perhaps will still be better for you are as handsome as any of them mr bingley may like you best in the party 
my dear, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I do not pretend to be a thing extraordinary now. When a woman has five grown-up daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. In such cases, a woman has not often much beauty to think of. But, my dear, you must indeed go and see Mr. Bingley when he comes into the neighborhood. It is more than I engage for, I assure you. But consider your daughters. Only think of what establishment it would mean for one of them. Sir William and Lady Lucas are determined to go. Merely on that account, for in general, you know, they visit no newcomers. Indeed, you must go, for it will be impossible for us to visit him if you do not. You are over-scrupulous, surely. I dare say Mr. Bingley will be very glad to see you. I will send a few lines to assure him of my hearty consent to marrying whichever he chooses of the girls, though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie. I desire you will do no such thing. Lizzie is not a bit better than the others. I am sure she is not so handsome, half so handsome as Jane, nor half so good-humoured as Lydia. But you are always giving her the preference. They have none of them much to recommend them, replied he. They are all silly and ignorant like other girls, but Lizzie has something more of a quickness than her sister's. Quickness is to uh, hear means like mental sharpness or wit. Mr. Bennet, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? You take delight in vexing me. You have no compassion on my poor nerves. You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them these with consideration these twenty years at least. Ah, oh, you do not know what I suffer. But I hope you will get over it and live to see many young men of four thousand a year come into the neighborhood. It will be of no use to have seven twenty such come since you will not visit them. Depend upon it, my dear, when there are twenty, I will visit them all. Mr. Bennet was so odd was so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice, and the experience of three and twenty years had been sufficient to make his wife understand his character, insufficient to make his wife understand his character. Her mind was less difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of life was to get her daughters married. It was the solace... Its solace was visiting and news. End chapter one. Okay, so that is a very amusing chapter. It sets the tone for the whole book in a beautiful way. Um, I mean, that first line is a very iconic Jane Austen line. Um, it basically says... A truth universally acknowledge a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. It's humorous, it's witty, it's hyperbolic, and it sets the tone. The purpose of this book, the purpose of this story is about good fortune and wanting a wife. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it totally sets the whole case in a wonderful, succinct way. Um, so, Michaelmas, I didn't mention Michaelmas, is a important date in this book and in Jane Austen's era. Um, it's a Christian holiday uh, celebrated on September 29th. It's one of the four major holidays of the year um, in this time period. Christmas um, is 
it does exist in this era. I mean, obviously it exists. It was not that important as a holiday, not like it is now. Um, Christmas really came into fashion in like another 50, 60 years. Christmas comes into more fashion. Now Michaelmas is more about giving gifts, sharing family time. Um, I don't know. If you think of weather, September is a way better time to get together with family than Christmas. Like, could you imagine, like, taking a plane flight in September instead of Christmas? Like, that'd be so much. Anyway, I live in snowy places. So, like, for me, yeah, for sure. I'd much rather celebrate in September. But anyway, uh, in Jane Austen's life, Michaelmas is the more important of the holidays. Christmas is kind of a bit more religious in tone rather than a gift-giving celebration. Um... If you're interested in the history of Christmas and stuff, uh, it, yeah, a good place to pick up is like um, Dickens doing Christmas Carol. That was when Christmas was really coming into its own as a holiday, and that era, the Victorian era, really helped shape what Christmas is as we know it. But anyway, um, a few other things uh, to mention in that chapter. So quickness of wit um, is you hear, see here, Mr. Bennett is very humorous. He's teasing his wife and everything. And he mentions Lizzie's funny. Uh, so that's a big theme in this book is quick wit and how it can go too far. Um, so that's a thing that we're going to keep our eyes on. Um, Mr. Bennett here is just laughing about his daughter's positions of needing to get married. Obviously, he's just being sarcastic because, as he well knows, he has five daughters and he does not have a large income. As we will find out, they have about 2,000 pounds a year. Um, and so they need to get their girls married. They don't have much dowry. They need to settle their girls well. Girls are a ticking time bomb between the ages of, like, 15 and 23 they had to get married so like you just like they and he's got five daughters like all within you know time span of what like they're all like six years apart or something so yeah so he's just being sarcastic like he knows they need to get married but he's being funny and teasing his wife uh the other thing we will talk about is nerves um so uh mrs bennett like remarks that she's like oh my poor nerves and stuff like that sorry i just tore a bookmark and i realized how loud that must have sounded on the pod podcast sorry about that um but you know how that is like i'm out of bookmarks and so i was like oh nearby paper nice i have a bookmark now anyway uh during the century preceding this novel really um I, Nerves became a blanket term for any complaint a woman had. Um, in the medieval ages, they used to treat people's humors. They would treat your bad humor. And they would call it a humor, and it was just to make up sort of a... Anything that was wrong with you that they didn't know what it was, it was an ill humor that had taken hold. And they would try and treat your ill humor um, often with like, uh, drugs that we would now consider illegal drugs throughout, <laughs> um, or tonics and things that really didn't do anything, but, um, they replaced humor with nerves and a lot of women just had bad nerves. And so any kind of 
ailment you had that the medical science couldn't really address was addressed as nerves. Jane Austen thinks this is a very silly fad, and she definitely paints Mrs. Bennet as having nerves, as being a hypochondriacal, a hypochondriac. Um, Because nerves are just this nebulous term, anyone can have nerves and complain about them. Um, And Jane Austen, in her own life, found this very annoying. She knew people, but, like, they, you know, be having a bad day and everyone was ignoring them. Suddenly they'd come down with a fit of nerves. And then they'd need everyone to fuss over them. Um, As we now know, in the modern era, um, there are illnesses that I think would fall in this category of my nerves. Anytime I get stressed out, I, Mrs. Bennett describes she gets flutterings and tremblings all over her body when she's stressed. I'm like, okay, that sounds to me like panic attack. That sounds like anxiety. That sounds like fibromyalgia. Like that sounds like, like literally some nervous disorders that we know of now, um, but they obviously didn't know of then. And Jane Austen often uses it in a humorous way, uh, just like to make Mrs. Bennett seem like kind of a silly character. Um, so she is a silly character, but she's also very real. Um, like, if you stop and think about Mrs. Bennett's position, not only does she have five daughters she has to marry off, like, quickly, but she doesn't have any like hope after her husband's dead because like a woman doesn't carry land, doesn't have an income. So she has to marry her daughters well off so that she can also have her own future secure. If her husband dropped dead tomorrow, she and her daughters would essentially be homeless. Um, Just like in, as we saw in Sense and Sensibility, if you listen to that podcast with me, it can go very bad very fast if your husband dies unexpectedly. Um, so Mrs. Bennett is a silly woman, but she's also got a lot of real worries and real stress and anxieties. So I think it's, um, I don't, I just don't think we should just totally write her off as like being a silly character. Cause just, I, I feel for her. Like it, it was not an easy life. It was not easy to be a woman back then. And to know that you've brought five daughters into the world that all also have this same dilemma is, must be very difficult. Um, but anyway, so we've got, uh, and I did like that last line though, you know, that uh, the business of life was to get her daughters married. It's solace is visiting and news. Um, I feel that like that, like, yeah, the business of life, you know, for us is like, you know, to work, to make money, but life's solace is, you know, chatting with my friends and playing games. Like, that's the solace. I think it's cute and well-written. But that wraps up chapter one. Um, I hope you all enjoyed and we'll be getting to chapter two. I'll probably be recording only once a week. I might record twice a week, but it might just be a once a week thing uh, while I'm getting back into the groove of it. So, um, well, happy first chapter, everybody. We'll see you next time.